Hey, this is Carl Jacob of Homecoin Finance, the platform that puts the power of mortgages into the hands of anyone who can buy crypto. I'm on the Edge of NFT podcast, your home for learning everything special in Web3. Keep listening. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode with special guest hosts, Zach Sekar, head of events and NFTLA for a company, as well as Ben Noble from our partner Web3 agency, Howl Labs, and find out why there's really no place like home. And how Atlas Space is onboarding Enterprise into the metaverse with stealth ninja tactics. And how buying a Mustang horse turned into selling a Mustang car in our guest life. And finally, how you can enjoy more from today's co-hosts every Thursday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific at the NFTLA Live Twitter account. And don't forget, we put together a gathering called NFTLA just a few months ago, and it brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in Web3. You can head to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20 to 23rd of 2023, and help us co-create the future of Web3. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's sponsored Spotlight episode features Carl Jacob, CEO and co-founder of Homecoin.Finance. The platform that offers DeFi investors the opportunity for consistent yield through a stablecoin backed by home mortgages. He is also co-founder and CEO of Alone Snap Incorporated. Carl is a serial entrepreneur who has been building, advising, and investing in companies for the last 20 years. Carl's career has been focused on founding companies that solve big problems, and those companies have helped tens of millions of consumers. He has raised 23 rounds of financing from investors, including True Ventures, Baseline Ventures, Richard Branson's Virgin Group, Microsoft, eBay, and others. While CEO, Carl has generated hundreds of millions in returns to investors and over $150 million in revenue per year. In 2005, he joined Facebook as one of its first advisors and currently advises several companies. Homecoin is a new cryptocurrency backed by the same mortgages used by governments, insurance companies, and high net worth individuals to preserve and grow their wealth. Homecoin is available to anyone in the world with a DeFi wallet. Payments from the loans backed by homes flow back to the holders of Homecoin. So you get a stable coin backed by homes in the US and a part of the payments from homeowners. Carl, oh my gosh, I'm blown away just reading all that. And I'm sure you are. <laughs> Who's that guy? It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Welcome to the Edge of NFT. Thank you. Yeah. It's great to have you here. And actually, before I dive into the question, I will prepare the listeners for some interesting voices that will be coming in today. We have Zach Sekar, who's head of events for Edge of Company and has been collaborating with us since last year on the NFT LA event. And we thought we'd bring him in today to pinch hit. Jeff Kelly and Josh Krieger couldn't make it today. And... We're also bringing in Ben from Howl, a PR company that's doing wonderful stuff in the Web3 space and formerly known as Multiplied, but we'll pump the rebrand, Howl. And they work on Twitter spaces with us on NFTLA's channel as well as Howl's channel. And you can catch Zach and Ben on Twitter. So 
be fun to hear their voices here. So Carl, I'll jump right into the questions here. So Homecoin is helping people preserve and grow their wealth, backing it with mortgages, as we said. Walk us through how this project came to be and how it works a little bit. Yeah, you bet. So I think one thing most people don't realize is that mortgages are their underpinning of the financial system. And as an example of that, if you look at the U.S. dollar, it's backed by the U.S. government. A third of the backing of that dollar is mortgages. And so that's a very stable backing and cash flow. Kind of the two key things are what's safe and what generates the cash flow, particularly now that people are thinking about cash flows in this environment and also preserving the wealth that they've made. In some ways, you can look at this as probably the only NFT out there that pays you to own it on an ongoing basis. That's pretty impressive and fascinating, interesting. I mean, I'm not a real estate mogul myself, but I've always been fascinated with a couple of rental properties and so forth. And I was coming of age, like just getting out of college right there when the mortgage peak and, and trough and all of that was lucky enough to like buy a home as this crazy young kid at like 22 or something and sell it before the crash, which is great. <laughs> but yeah, but that whole system has been fascinating. And what I found interesting is just even as, I think sometimes young people, and maybe we're seeing this with Web3 and the growth of Web3, are even a little bit more savvy about what's going on. They can kind of smell a rat or they can kind of see there's something not quite right going on here. And so this that's part of why this world's been really fascinating to me. So. Well, and I think it's that's a great point. It has always been inaccessible to anybody but banks, governments, financial institutions, and very wealthy people. And the reason for that is buying a home loan is expensive. Let's call the average home loan in the United States, say, $300,000. Well, it doesn't take many of those to run through most people's reserves. So what we decided was, hey, couldn't we open this up not only to people in the United States of all levels of wealth, but also anybody around the world? And that's the really big unlock here is take this product that has been preserving and growing wealth for large governments, financial institutions, and wealthy individuals and put it in the hands of everyone, which is really what DeFi and blockchain is all about. How do we get access to these products that were normally only reserved for a tiny few group? groups of people in the world. Right. Thank you. No, it's interesting to see for us DeFi project where the returns are actually backed by something. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy last year. Nobody wanted to talk to us last year. Now all of a sudden everybody's interested. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I mean, you mentioned how this has been accessible to banks and financial institutions, but what are the mortgages that are generating these returns? Yeah, so there's $13 trillion of mortgages in the United States. So there's a lot to choose from. We chose to focus on the high quality ones and the high quality ones are defined by the US federal government. So they have a set of specifications that are very narrow that are the ones that they would buy and they would put on the balance sheet to back the dollar. And we use that same standard in HomeCoin. I was going to say, as a millennial, if you own one piece of real estate, aren't you a real estate mogul at this point? <laughs> feeling like we're on the outside and if you can grab any real estate that bill gates has not already acquired at this point especially <laughs> farmland then yes you definitely are i grew up on a farm or a ranch so <laughs> that's meaning there we go i mean access is a huge part of it and we can talk about like the issues with the mortgage market how has that become more or less difficult for people to get involved because i mean a lot of these foreboding preventative world events have happened that make people feel even more desperate these days. How is this solution kind of angling to help get 
better transparency and decentralization and use those things to make things more accessible? Yeah, I think honestly, the housing market has frozen out a whole generation, as you kind of pointed out. And that's really sad, but also potentially a great opening. Because if you think about, say, 10 years ago, or maybe 20 years ago, everybody wanted to own a house, that that was putting their pretty much their entire net worth into one single house. If anything happened on that block or that street or to that particular house, obviously things didn't go so well. So Homecoin is backed by a pool of mortgages spread around the country. And so the great thing there is you can basically buy into the housing industry or real estate, become a real estate mogul without owning a piece of property, which I think is a powerful thing for people who are not interested in owning a home or may own a home down the road, but are just trying to get their feet wet. I think on the industry itself, I think 2008 is the worst housing crisis ever. And it was a horrible event for consumers. But for the industry itself, it was not as bad as people talk about. If you were holding mortgages and you weren't doing crazy things like credit default swaps and other things, you're just holding a pool of mortgages the default rate was about 10% across all mortgages in the United States. So if you look at the current pool that we have, if you took a quote hit like that, effectively, you'd still have the liens on the home. You'd still have a right to the house itself. So you would get your collateral back. You'd get your original money back, which as you know, in stable coins is unique these days. And in many cases, you would start getting the payments again after the house was either sold or payments were resumed. And so there was a momentary point in time where there was some pain. But overall, the housing industry has moved through those kind of things. And in 2008, of course, that inspired a whole bunch of new regulation that prevented a lot of the loans that were done back then from ever being done again. In fact, if you look at the regulatory environment now, it's quite a bit more stringent than it was in the past. There are no more loans where you can just submit, say, a guess on your income or basically very light documentation. Stated income loan, right? Stated income, exactly. Well, and so the thing is now, the great thing is twofold. One, the rules say you have to verify stuff. And two, we have better ways to do that. So we have actually technologies and APIs we can talk to, imagine that, that can verify this information actually in real time. I mean, look at Plaid. What a great way to verify that deposits exist for purchasing a home without having to go through bank statements. And so technology has moved regulation has moved. And honestly, the industry has matured quite a bit, both on the people buying mortgages and putting them on their balance sheet. So Wells Fargo has about $275 billion of mortgages on their balance sheet. They've had to make changes, as well as the types of loans that we're allowed to make and we're allowed to call a certain type of loan, like the Fannie Mae loans, which are the federal, that bar has risen quite significantly over the past few years. And even the people who have a relationship with Fannie and are able to sell loans to the federal government has greatly reduced over time. No, it's great because, I mean, data efficiency and regulatory like certainty, I think, creates an environment where you can at least transact more clearly. So it's good to see that we're moving in a positive direction. At least that's what I'm gleaning from that. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think as well, things that you could have never done before. So transparency is a great example and decentralization. So transparency, we put an NFT around every lien that we do and publish it to the blockchain. That's representing a real world lien that exists at the county on the blockchain for anybody to look at. So go back in time to that movie, The Big Short. And what was the big thing that he unlocked? Well, he dug until he found what loans were actually inside of these pools 
to do that, what did he have to do? He had to get on a plane and go visit the houses. Well, we published that for everyone to look at and run that same analysis in real time all the time. So maybe you want to run an analysis and say, how distributed are these houses across the United States? Or what's the lien value that we're placing on the house? Lien is basically a promise to repay a loan at a certain price, and let's say it's $50,000. And that, we think, is going to open up a whole new era in stable coins that are truly transparent. The other is the decentralization piece. So mortgage is decentralized today. There's 1,300 mortgage originators in this country. There's tens of thousands of counties across the United States. And each one of those has a registry for liens on home. So let's say you don't believe the blockchain. Let's say you don't believe us that the lien actually exists. You can actually go down to the county recorder and pull the records and look at the lien right there and verify it. Yeah, verify, don't trust, right? Right, exactly. And I think that's the thing is that that level of decentralization is unheard of. I'll give you a good example. We have actually two people, most people who use HomeCoin on the lending side, meaning they get a home loan through HomeCoin, don't even know there's cryptocurrency behind it. It's all done in fiat. But we had two people who actually said, I want to pay my mortgage through my wallet. Those two people actually make their mortgage payments without ever touching the banking system. So even if the banking system crumbled, they would still be making their mortgage payments and HomeCoin holders would still be getting the return. Wow. There's obviously a lot we can talk about with your fungible stablecoin here. And it's really cool that you can get a mortgage and interact with it entirely outside of the banking system. But you also hinted that you've got several ways that you guys are using non-fungible tokens. And I think there's, in addition to the one you already spoke about as far as that transparent information about the liens, you've also got another like NFT opportunity for people to boost the returns that they get through your ecosystem. Can you tell us about that one? Yeah, you bet. It's been interesting. We actually are one of the few people who use NFTs for something other than art, right? And oddly enough, they're really powerful. So the first, as you pointed out, is every time we make a mortgage and we buy a mortgage effectively we wrap an NFT around the lien. So it's a way of representing a real world object on the blockchain. So that's the first. The second, as you were pointing out, is it became really clear to us that we needed to understand how long somebody wanted our coin to use their money. And so most stable coins, the problem is if you put a dollar in today, some people want to take that dollar out two seconds later. Other people would love to leave it in there for 90 days, some other people a year or even longer. But there's no way to tell the difference between those groups of people. Our decision was let's use NFTs again. So the new set of NFTs we have are called boosts and boosts are pretty simple. They represent a block of home coin, a dollar value, say $50,000 and a time period that you were committing to hold that coin inside of the protocol so we can use it. And we have 90 day boosts and year long boosts. In fact, we're giving some of those away today. But the cool thing about that is it doesn't just have a representation kind of in your wallet. There's actually an NFT that you get, which represents that position, which shows up on OpenSea and is actually tradable. So you can imagine a world where I have a $50,000 position locked up for a year inside of HomeCoin, and there's a certain return right now that's over 7% return, which is pretty great in this environment. And maybe I want to sell it. And maybe I'd sell that for $55,000, or maybe I'd sell it for less in a particular situation. So the idea there is not only use NFTs in order to wrap that and represent that, but also provide a way for you to trade that if you want to now or down the road. 
And you're not just trading the NFT itself, you're also trading the cash flows that come from that NFT, which is the real power, which is you could say gift it to your children. Like here's an NFT that actually won't just sit on your profile picture. It'll actually pay you every month, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, that sounds really cool. So in order to get one of these NFTs, I would actually lock up my home coin and that would actually mint that boosted NFT. Yes, exactly. And we have different ones for different levels. So there's different colors and different materials. It goes all the way from the iconic green home that you saw probably in Monopoly. I mean, that's kind of where the idea came from, all the way to the diamond encrusted one. I think is the top. There's a couple more after that. And we've got a few of those. That's cool. And then when that term, like the 90 days or the year expires, that does that NFT then like revert back to the original home coin? Right. So you get the home coin back and you can reboost it if you like, or it could just, I mean, basically the home coin stays and the, the NFT has mm-hmm. zero value after that, or is basically, that's what NFTs are designed for. Like it has value for a certain period of time and then it goes poof and you get the value back, but the NFT goes away. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm going to yeah. check it out. Awesome. Awesome. That's really cool. I mean, it reminds me of like, we try to do this with incentive structures for like nodes and things like that. When we were, they were trying to scale Ethereum, I forgot the name of the product. Strongblock was doing something like that, where they had an NFT and they did like a boosting factor. I think creating those incentive models, especially in the early stage when you're trying to get more people on board, is really valuable to them. And it just shows where your head's at that you want to reward them for participating more in the long-term vision of what you're doing. And speaking in that long-term vision, unless Ethan, you wanted to jump ahead of me, I wanted to talk a little bit more about their roadmap and what they've got gone going for the future. I had a question and I know Zach cut me off. Mine, even though my question was more important, where's the monkey picture attached <laughs> to these go. NFTs? You know what I mean? Like no ape, no coin. <laughs> where's my monkey well, picture? <laughs> I guess now I had an image of my head where the actual NFT is a uh, home logo, as you can probably imagine in a different material. But Maybe we need a board ape hanging from the chimney or something like that, which is interesting because the NFTs that are wrapping the liens are actually have representations of the houses. And so if you go to the website or you look at the blockchain, and there's some really interesting things that may come of that. I mean, obviously, there's privacy things that we're concerned about. So we don't put actual pictures of the houses up. They're renderings of of the house that are not traceable back to the actual house. However, you could imagine somebody getting fancy and saying, well, hey, I want this particular image to represent my house. Maybe that's one with a board ape hanging out at the chimney or hanging out on the front porch or something like that. So that would be a fun idea. Completely not necessary, to be honest, buddy. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, the nice thing is if you're generating 7% return, you get to have a little bit of fun, right? Yeah, there you go. This is kind of a boring space, which is great because that's the whole idea. It's boring and delivers cash flow every month. Right. Sorry. Now I'm going on very long tangents. I remember my friend who grew up in India telling me how actual monkeys would come into her house and like steal fruit from their kitchen and stuff. That would be a cool NFT to show the the monkeys (laughs) hanging out on the front porch with the stolen candy and fruit. Exactly. Does that add or detract to the value of the real estate? That's my question. (laughs) Exactly. As long as you're protected from the monkeys. Yeah. Beware of monkey thieves. Yes. Before we get onto the roadmap, Ben, I did want to check in on this concept of exchanging any coin supported by Curve for the home coin LP rewards. Can you tell us what that means about the utility of the LP rewards? How did the boosted home NFTs tie in? 
Right. Yeah. So that's really exciting stuff that's going on just this week. So we had a vote of the Dow and, and it's so far doing quite well, obviously very supportive of it. And the idea here is freedom from USDC and effectively the US dollar, which is kind of a crazy concept, but I think important because a lot of the stable coins that are out there are backed by fiat coins. What we said is, well, look, if that's the case, what you really want to do is be based on what fiat currencies are based on. And in the United States, a third of that is mortgages. And so let's go direct to the source, which allows us to give our coin holders the return that others can't, right? Because they're basing it on an actual dollar and we're basing it on an actual mortgage and the dollar value of the lien against that mortgage. It's easier to inflate dollars, I guess, than houses. Exactly. Pretty pretty hard to inflate houses, as we've all found. Plus, the liens are fixed. You can't change the size of the lien, no matter what. I mean, that's governed by the regulatory groups that are out there. You start doing that and get in trouble. So the advantage now is rather than taking USDC and then minting home, which effectively is how it works today, which is kind of how we got off the ground, now we'll move into a world where you'll take whatever coin and put it into one of these liquidity pools on Curve or elsewhere, and you will get back home coin. So you could imagine putting ETH, you could imagine putting Dogecoin, whatever it might be, and getting home back, which allows you to basically translate between those two types of currencies and then bring it back to home and boost it and get the higher return. So you get 1% for just holding home, which is unlike any other stablecoin on the planet, 2% for boosting for 90 days and max returns for a year, which effectively right now is 7%. And so this allows you to move seamlessly between a very liquid coin and moving in and out of things to a higher level of commitment and more return and an even higher level seamlessly. Whereas before you had to, as everybody knows, take your coin, go to some kind of like thing, stake it, lock it up, lend it to somebody else. I mean, all these complex steps this simplifies that greatly. How often can I get another magical boost by closing my eyes, clicking my heels together and saying, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. That's what I want to know. Well, we've got a great interface for it. It's always being improved, but it will track the boost that you have. We have people who have got 90-day boost and year boost in multiple different timeframes, and it will alert you to kind of when that boost is running out. And then the second it runs out, it unlocks the ability to effectively reboost. Or you don't even have to click your heels. You can set it to do it automatically. And some people just set their boost to go reboost every 90 days. Very cool stuff. Thank you. Yeah, that's really interesting. On the topic of the stablecoin, but free from fiat, is in the like in how we consider it a stablecoin, does that mean over the long term it may not track with the US dollar? Well, yeah, that's an interesting Question. So it depends on how you look at the US dollar <laughs> and what it is actually. The liens themselves on the homes are denominated in dollars. And so the system is backed by liens on those homes currently in the United States in dollars. So today and for the foreseeable future, $13 trillion of mortgages out there, it's lockstep with the dollar, even though it's not pegged to the dollar. And the reason for that is it's pegged to the liens and the liens are denominated in dollars. As we scale, you can imagine a world where globally, maybe it's pegged to multiple currencies that are the underlying denomination for the liens on a particular home in a particular country. Our focus is really on the States for right now, but yeah, I mean, there's lots of potential, really opportunity. And that's what the LP pool, pools let us do is originate loans around the world, denominated by currencies locally and or cryptocurrencies. You could imagine a world, right, where somebody could 
pay for their home at ETH. And you know, the first country to accept that would be an interesting thing. Or better, basically take their ETH, put it in a liquidity, pull home out and use home to do it. And then home is backed by mortgages that are backed by liens all around the world. Yeah. No, I mean, I see that potential as well, especially, you know, at scale, home may for some people make a lot more sense to build off like technology and financial tools that they're building compared to Heather or USDC if they don't want the the treasury to, to screw up their whole system by printing a bunch of money. Yeah, I think it was an interesting diversion from other stablecoins because really, if you look at stablecoins, they were invented at a time when the blockchain and crypto were nascent. And sure, it sounded like a great idea to back a coin by dollars in a bank account. But if you look at the centralization of that and the lack of transparency that you're saying, well, we promise our auditors are good auditors, trust what they say, those are pretty antithetical to the concepts that crypto and blockchain. And now we've had a chance to re-examine those. And so we think starting with transparency and decentralization are really important tenants. The other is don't base yourself on an existing fiat currency. Base yourself on the pieces that are the underpinnings of an existing fiat system. So you're effectively independent of the fiat system. And look, we're not there yet, and it'll take us a while to get there. But it's all about building the tools and the potential and listening to the community, which has really kind of encouraged us to move this direction. I feel like I spent a lot of time early on trying to figure out with like partners like Synthetics and Ampleforth and stuff, this whole concept of stablecoin. And you're so right. It felt antithetical initially to the space. And there was a lot of backlash on that because the original concept of moving away from the traditional value system, people felt like this was a hitch route. When in actuality, the way I see things now is we can't rip and replace everything overnight. And so putting the mechanics for a soft switch in by giving people exposure to those assets and then being able to diversify what those assets look like over time makes a lot of sense. I definitely want to hit to that point on where you could go in the future on what your roadmap looks like and figure out what kind of partners and stuff you're trying to court. Yeah. So, I mean, our heads are kind of spinning after this week because we've made so many changes. But the home, the switch to minting home only based on mortgages is probably the most fundamental change we've made since we started. And a pretty radical shift, as you pointed out, from other stable coins who are basically minting based on dollars or whatever currency they're operating in. The future is pretty interesting, right? So the future, I believe, is one, these liquidity pools for any kind of coin. We hope to see everything, right? Or lots of interesting things there. New boosts. So we do 90 days today and a year today. You can imagine five years. We're talking about generational wealth. You know, how do you preserve your wealth for the next generation and the next generation versus just how do you make a lot of money in a month or lose a lot of money in a month? You could also imagine a world where you have infinite boosts right, where you basically say, well, look, I'm going to lock my money up here forever. I'm going to rely on the system in order to originate mortgages or purchase mortgages to fill that return potentially forever, which I think aligns really well with this idea behind DAOs and multi-generational impact and public goods and everything like that. It's like, how do you have a balance sheet that you could point to and say, well, yeah, we believe this balance sheet will be around in 300 years. Well, a lot can change in 300 years, I'm pretty sure houses are still going to be around. I'm pretty sure we're still going to need them. We might have burrows. You don't know. <laughs> well, that's true, but you never know. They could let against burrows. I guess it's still a home. <laughs> it could become like those pods in the Matrix where you're just sitting in like a slush and you've got your 
spinal cord attached you to like still some have brain to, implant. You still have a lease on it. <laughs> you still have to pay for that. You pod. still have to pay for it, and it still comes out of your crypto wallet, right? <laughs> Directly from your brain. <laughs> Limited real estate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Yeah, great stuff, man. I love this conversation. We're going to move to the next segment here in a minute. Last question, though, before we get there. What other projects have you been inspired by in the NFT space? It's always fun for our listeners to get a taste of what you're looking at or intrigued by. Yeah, you bet. So I've been really trying to focus on the practical applications of the blockchain and crypto, obviously, and what I've been doing. But I'm a student of everything about crypto. And I love learning new things. I I love the social networking era and and kind of was really lucky to be involved early on in, in that. I think Web3 is much more like the internet was back in the day. And we're seeing the same kind of things. And in that scenario, you really have to just learn as fast as you can. So things that I get excited about, boy, I'm excited about anything new and different. And I've looked at all kinds of crazy stuff. I've looked at magic internet money. I've looked at Rune. I've looked at Thor. I think what we're starting to see is a new type of lending across the board. And that gets me really excited. So so this idea that you can build a system where you can lend to anybody in the world with money from anybody in the world is kind of the utopian experience that we've been thinking about for a long time and hoping for. I don't think you get a healthy economic system without lending. And as we all know, lending is broken. It takes 60 days to get a mortgage. It takes forever for a whole bunch of things to happen in the real world. And that's just not going to play well down the road, particularly outside the United States, right? Where you just physically can't go to a bank or there are no banks, right? And that I think is the kind of projects I get excited about, the things that people are doing at Compound and Ave and Maple and even Maker. I think the seeds of the new financial infrastructure are being planted today. And I get excited about that. I also get excited about the art side of it. It doesn't seem like it, but I used to sculpt and do artwork. So I'm a neophyte in all that stuff, but I love seeing it and what's happening. I'm really excited about what I see as the new generation NFTs. Anytime there's a new technology, usually we just take the old technology and ram it into the new stuff and say, oh, look, I mean, this reminds me of the original TV broadcast where just videos of people doing radio broadcasts. And that was like television, except it wasn't. I think NFTs are at that point where you're starting to see generative art. I think you're starting to see really unique uses of NFTs. Buy a piece of art. It gives you access to something. Look at what Kevin is doing at Moonbird. It's not just the bird. It's the access and the community and everything around it. And yeah, all that stuff excites me. I don't have one that I get really excited about. That's great stuff. Love it all. I'm going to do a little prequel to our quick headers, kind of a fun, quick question that I'm inspired by to ask you if you're willing to share. What is the highest interest rate (laughs) that you've personally like invested in something to try to get, right? And then follow up, how much did you maybe actually gain or lose on that particular (laughs) interest rate? (laughs) Well, I did avoid Terra Luna, I have to say. And it was one of those like, whoa, that's too crazy. Some of the stuff going on in Thor back in the day, Rune, even a little magic internet money and spell token and all that stuff. That was probably the highest interest rate stuff that I looked at. But what was the number? Do you remember? Were you in the tens of thousands of percent? <laughs> no, no, no. That scares <laughs> Over 30 scares the crap out of me. I know, right? <laughs> so it's funny. I don't know how we got disconnected from the idea that return equals risk. 
But somehow those two things got disconnected in every other normal market. Well, look at 99, 2000. They also got disconnected there. But this idea that you were taking zero. I remember somebody telling me there's zero risk in Terra Luna. Don't worry. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, that's impossible. And they said, oh, no, here's the math. I'm like, no, I don't need to know the math. It's too risky. So I'd say 30 something percent is probably the highest that I saw. It's good to know from like a seasoned business professional, what, <laughs> what's the limit of your what I heard. skepticism? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. I got to say, I had a moment on my crypto journey and I remember exactly the moment. And the moment was when somebody was pitching me magic internet money. I thought, that's it. I'm out. That's just like, it sounded cool, but boy, that's just one of those top indicators. That would get some looks. Kind of like selling dog food over the internet in 99, 2000. There you go. All right, perfect. Thanks for answering that one. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or if you received that chain letter, how did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. So now let's get to the next segment, Edge Quick Hitters. Fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. We have 10 quick questions for just the short, single or a few word response. But if we feel like expanding a little bit, we can forget the urge. Are you ready? I think so. We'll see. Okay. Awesome. We're going to alternate asking these. Zach and Ben, are you ready? Ready to go. No improvisation. Just ask as it's written, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, what is the first thing you ever remember purchasing in your life, Carl? A horse. All right. <laughs> Do you remember how much the horse was? Well, it was a couple hundred dollars, to be honest. All right. Was it alive? <laughs> it was a ranch that was near us who wanted to get rid of their horse. And cool. it took a little bit of pity on me because I really wanted the horse. Oh, that's nice. Sweet story. All right. Second question. What is the first thing you ever remember selling in your life? Because it was so painful, my first car, which was a Mustang. Mm. What was painful? It was the a painful selling sale. Part. Yeah. Well, it just... Not the car. I was going to college and yeah, yeah. Sorry. The, yeah. the sale was painful. The, the car was amazing. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So what is the most recent thing you purchased? Most recent thing, iPhone 14. <laughs> All right. Good answer. And then what's the most recent thing that you've sold? Well, that's the funny thing. iPhone 13, because <laughs> I sold it before I got the 14. <laughs> I could have guessed that one. Okay. Prized possession. What's your most prized possession? I am not a real possession kind of person. iPhone 14. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm a kite porter, So I would say my carbon fiber board is one of my prized possessions. Nice. Oh, you're muted, Ben. You're muted, Ben. That would be a problem. I'm like sitting there in my fields. 
I was like, if you something buy important. Anything, <laughs> like, where's the answer? <laughs> yeah. If, if you could buy anything in the world, physical, digital, otherwise, like what would that be? Yeah. This one's good. I'd probably say one of the many NFTs that I missed. Can't think of one off the top of my head, but. Oh, nobody's getting any shout outs today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's always hard, right? But I do feel like there's some that I was like, dang, I should have done that. Would you rather have a bored ape or a crypto punk? I'd have to say CryptoPunk. Board apes don't really do it for me. They're just not my thing. Cool. Okay. Anything else to add there and what you would have picked up? or Probably something that Blau owns right now. I'll give a shout out to him because he's like my guru when it comes to that kind of stuff. What about one of his early pieces? Blau has a lot of great work out there, yeah. right? Yeah. Love Justin. Shout out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to pivot a little bit here. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Let's see. I would say curiosity and a desire to learn. Now, the flip side of that, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? <laughs> Getting too excited too early. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah, I'm totally on board with you. Yeah. It's like when you see something and you're kind of, not to be immodest, but sharp enough to see that there's something exciting there. But you're not sharp enough or experienced enough to see that everybody else is not going to see it for like 20 years. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you got to play yeah. it right. Yeah. Yeah. Timing is everything. And I think, but it's also served me well because you can't be curious and really open to learning and not have that wide eyed like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the best thing ever. Yeah. It was Bill Gates, right? He said, we tend to overestimate like the importance of change over the next two years, but underestimate in 10 year timeline. So it's exciting. It's especially valuable if we can keep in mind that longer time horizon. I think that's exactly right. And just realize that you have to survive for a long period of time sometimes in order to see that happen. Facebook was that way in the face of MySpace and Friendster, oddly enough, right? The internet, right? The whole dot-com thing. Everybody's like, oh, it's all over. It's dead. That was fun. Some people made money. Most people lost a ton of money. And instead, that was really the foundation that spawns 10, 15, 20 years of growth. Totally. Shout out to a project that I don't I don't follow as much lately, but maybe exactly like 10 years ago or whatever, there was this project called the Long Now Foundation. I don't know if anybody, did you ever look into that? But I always enjoyed that kind of ethos, that philosophy. Stuart Brand was part of that. And yeah, it was they, they made this clock that would last whatever, thousands of years and stuff. Pretty cool. Yeah, I've heard him speak at TED and he's amazing. I think that's a real shift that I'm seeing with Web3, which is that very rarely do entire communities of people think about building things that are going to endure for generations. And some of the great winemakers and industry builders, if you look at a lot of the industries that are built in other countries where it's like literally they started out making fine linens or fiber or clothing and are now building ships. And that's been going on for generations and generations. Some of these companies like Sony have just been around forever. I love that rather than just trying to build the quick hit stuff, Web3 is focused on DAOs and hopefully longer term wealth now and these generational things. I mean, look at what Ethereum has done. Look at the fact that they're planning for who knows how long, right? And that's an incredible gift to the world and to society that I don't think other generations have really thought about until you go back to the early generations that built some of the financial institutions that we see today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great stuff. All right, last two questions here. Simple, 
easy to answer. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Let's see. I uh, called somebody about closing a big real world deal, (laughs) so to speak, meaning I think it's interesting because just as this crypto stuff is taking off and the blockchain stuff is taking off, that has become very popular purchase for large hedge funds, governments, banks, and everything like that. And we managed to generate it quickly and at high quality. Sounds good. How about this one? What are you about to do after the podcast? Let's see. After the podcast, take a breather, maybe take a walk, and then uh, get right back on uh, closing these deals that I'm about to close. (laughs) ABC always be closing. Yeah. But... Also, always be taking a walk in between to get some fresh air. I like that. (laughs) All right. Well, that concludes our Edge Quick Hitters. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com It's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, it's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Our next segment is Hot Topics, which will feature another guest to be hopping on here very soon. Pinar, are you available? Yes, I'm here, guys. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, let's intro you. So today's sponsored hot topic features Pinar Anchu of Atlas Space. Pinar is a technology entrepreneur and a mentor. She is a co-founder and COO of Atlas Space. It's the exclusive metaverse platform for enterprises targeting a revolution in the future of work. Pinar comes from urban planning as her background with geographical information systems, GIS specialization. She is expert on designing 3D virtual world concepts with a neuroscience perspective. I love neuroscience. She is a Women Tech Network mentor and Women in Games ambassador, mentoring women entrepreneurs in metaverse and XR technologies. Well, this will be fun to kind of get you and Carl like going back and forth about the virtual and the physical and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, welcome, Pinar. Hey, thank you. 
it's great to be here today. Awesome. Let's dive right into this. What's your opinion? How is the metaverse going to affect the business world? Well, we've been searching this actually for the last six years, even before people said metaverse. So the way we were calling it was virtual spaces. You're going to have your offices there. You're going to mingle, visit each other. And people were looking at like space when we said that. So we know the evolution in the last six years. And I can say that in the last six months time frame, enterprises had huge know-how and experience on what this is, but still they're super much confused. So still they still don't know, but pretty much most of them tried a little bit. Some of them tried some big stuff, some very tiny little bit minor stuff. In summary, they're confused. They don't know what to do, but they are eager to learn. They're trying everything. They're doing events. They're doing some exhibitions. They're trying to open some buildings or lands at some different platforms. So we're one of the platforms that is targeting to lead them the way. We're uniquely targeting the enterprises. You can imagine like we are the LinkedIn of Web3. So we have got this 3D virtual world of our own, and we're onboarding all the companies, the enterprises there within a focus they need. Finding that purpose is super hard because most of the time, it seems like it's nice to have. It's not a must have for the moment. So it's a really hard question to answer what will make my audience come back to the platform. Mm, Yeah, I mean, it actually reminds me of Carl's point, which I totally agree with about these technologies being sort of nascent in people are more focused on, isn't this cool than like, what can this do that you can't do in any other way, right? And I think it's just like you said, Carl, people putting radio shows on the television, people are putting physical things in the metaverse. It's like, oh, look what I can do. I can go bowling in the metaverse. It's like, well, you can also just go bowling in the real world. (laughs) Well, what can you only do in the metaverse? Have you put thought into that, Carl? Like, And not to pressure anything specifically, like I can only do that in the metaverse. And that's why the metaverse is cool. Well, for us, if you consider the metaverse broadly, right, it would be the speed of funding loans and really the flexibility, meaning new loan types that we can't even imagine today. Imagine your mortgage gets paid daily. Never can happen in the real world. There's just too hard. In the metaverse itself, that's hard, boy. I think that's an amazing vision. And I was involved with a lot of the early virtual reality stuff. And that's exactly where everybody went. Like, let's make it an office. It looks just like an office, except who wants to walk across the office in the virtual world? (laughs) I want to teleport, right? And I think that's still coming. I think there's a lot of investment in that area. I'm really excited to see people who know what's going on in physical spaces, helping like evolve that and neuroscience. I was a biomedical engineer. My dad was a neurosurgeon. And so figuring out how people's brains works and then mapping this new environment to that so that you give enough cue that the real world that they feel comfortable, but also do things that you just couldn't do in the real world. And you couldn't actually walk from the campus of Apple to the campus of, say, Facebook in the real world. You could in the virtual world or mix and mingle or a bunch of the technologies and products that you could be experimenting around with in the virtual world may not even exist in the real world. And so getting experience with that kind of stuff, maybe those are some ideas. That's a great point. I remember when I had this little piano tuning business in New York City and was experimenting with moving to Peru and trying to manage it from afar. And the fascinating thing that I didn't realize until I started doing things on the internet and doing Zoom meetings, things like this, this was back in like 2015, 16. I was like, 
it's easier for me to get together with my team in New York from Peru on a Zoom call than it was for us to plan, oh, you got to get on the subway, you got to come over to my house, it's early in the morning, you're tired, you didn't have a coffee yet, whatever, right? And people don't realize like these, there's these things that it's just like you said, Google and Facebook just go from one to the other in the metaverse. But how often are you telling people when they're coming to you like that this doesn't need to be on the blockchain and this does need to be on the blockchain? Like, where do you broker that relationship in the metaverse? My target is enterprises. Most of them have no idea about how to integrate with enterprises. And those who have the ideas probably are getting stuck in regulation. So what we do is, finding the bridge because we cannot force anything that will not happen in the time frame that we want. So we're bridging, we're accepting all of these fiat payments or we're accepting all of these email registrations. But then step-by-step, step, we're getting our users get used to the Web3 or the blockchain part. And we're teaching what blockchain will do for them. It's not only the currencies, but it's the clarity in the network movements and whatever is happening on the network, all these records and logs. So they're learning. So yeah, we're never forcing anyone to jump into blockchain. It sounds like it's a slow process. I mean, I'm talking about six years. When people ask us what the metaverse will do, different than the real world. We're never telling them you're going to do these avatar meetings. No, this is way more convenient than doing the avatar meetings still, because you can see my face, my motions and gestures, everything. But instead, we're telling them it's totally a storytelling place that cannot be done in the real world. I can prepare this experience zone, taking your customer to your history, to your kickstart. We did a chocolate factory like that. We're teleporting people to the kickstart of the company. People are making the chocolate and meeting the founders for the company employees. That is something having the goosebumps in. Or we're teleporting people to future, showing the vision of the company. You cannot teleport me to past or future right now. Or me as a human being in the physical world, I cannot scale myself. I cannot go inside the cell or I cannot run on the Saturn. These are impossible. But in such an, such an environment, if my concept is very, you know, like cool, I can do everything I want in terms of the physical world. I have no gravity there. I have no scale. It's all about me and my concept. So merging these backside, okay, the enterprises still thinking this is the real world and their transition to any 3D environment is not as easy as the gamers of the fantasy worlds because they're expecting all this fun and stuff. But my people still want to see themselves, their face, their suit in that world. You're saying them you're unlimited, but they're preferring everything as it is in the real world. So we're not pushing the limits so much. We still have got these meeting rooms or some natural spaces or amphitheaters that is looking like the real world. But once they get used to it, we're increasing their pushing their limits a little bit more. So it's totally yeah. a slow process. Yeah, I get that. And it, that's a really interesting approach because if you look at things like the power of habit, some of the ways that people have studied how habits are created and formed, right? You start a habit by attaching it to something that's already working, right? That people already are used to, but then it can be whatever you want it to be, right? So if I'm brushing my teeth, but I want to make the habit to do my meditation after I brush my teeth, that's interesting, right? So I see what you're doing there. It's like, yeah, you got to make people feel comfortable. You got to make it easy, simple, accessible. And then you just slowly but surely, they're like that frog in the boiling pot of water. All of a sudden they're floating around in the 
in a life-size cell exploring the dna you know whatever (laughs) yeah you have to definitely find the perfect balance between not scaring people with something unknown but enough unknown to trigger their curiosity there's very sensitive balance building familiarity with like digital identity is that kind of the struggle there because a lot of it it feels like could be exist without blockchain but the blockchain becomes important once they take on that digital identity more fully well for the identity part the kickstart is always exactly the real life in real life view we even have got some digital twin photogrammetry studios in our office spaces where we exactly you know, take the photos of the person from a hundred different points. They don't care in the beginning. They don't care about the blockchain. I mean, they don't know the blockchain, so they don't care about the blockchain. But once we put them on the platform, they can realize they can change. They can change their hair, their color. They can even be a dinosaur. We see those limits, a CEO at 65 years old, running all of these 10,000 employee company, walking around in a dinosaur costume. We've seen these stuff. But then they ask, like, then what is the blockchain? At that point, we have to tell them about, I mean, how the identity fits If you want to own your dinosaur costume, we're going to have to start talking about the blockchain. (laughs) yeah exactly otherwise anybody can take it from you (laughs) if you want to be unique with your avatar if you don't want your 3d avatar for anyone else to be used (laughs) well i think it's like the early internet stuff like people try to tell people like oh this is what the internet is why it's important and all they cared about was buying books faster and i think in our world it really is interesting because 99 percent of the people who get a home loan through the blockchain technology don't even know the blockchain technology exists. They just know they got their home loan fast and the terms are better than they could get anywhere else. And they don't care. I think that's awesome, right? The 1% that do care is the Kickstarter, exactly. There's this example I love. When the wheel first invented, it was for pottery. So it was just for making the pots. It was turning on the ground. It took 300 years for somebody to put it upwards and create a chariot. Then the transportation was invented and the whole world changed. So now the blockchain technologies, the use of the blockchain technologies is like pottery making. At one point, we will find all of these genius ways where it will become the chariots and those cars. So we're going to have a little bit more time for that. Ooh, my spine is tingling with (laughs) wonderful analogies today. Any successful examples from what you guys are doing that are working really well? Bank branch, art exhibition? VR involved company, digital twins, like anything that's particularly successful you're seeing? Well, we have got one very specific example for that. We made a meta branch for a bank. So they're a physical bank for the moment. They're not doing any bank activities like transferring the wires or anything. This branch targets only showing whatever information on their website is in a visual way, in an immersive way. So because the habits of us is changing, Talking about the neuroscience and all of this perception, how we perceive the world, we are more focused into, more comfortable processing the information that is visual right now. It's not like we love digging anything on a text-based website. That bank has got full of information on their website, but nobody is taking care of their website. Nobody enters and receives the information. In the metaspace, all these credit cards are hanging around different types. You're clicking and immediately getting the information. We're turning back. You see all these credit types, 
On the other side, you can reach out to the customer service immediately with a video call, not you know waiting for 14 minutes, 100 minutes to connect someone on the phone. So that space is for perceiving stuff faster and easier. This is what the bank wants for the moment. So they don't care about anyone making the meetings there. They don't care about anything else that is promised on the Web3 or Metaverse for the moment. What they care about is targeting all of these new generation perception way, no matter how old we are. So this is a great example. And we do it on both web and virtual reality. So they're making all of these meetings, their internal meetings with VR supported as well. So they love it. We involve both of the technologies at the same time. So you are in on VR, I'm on web. We can see each other in a smooth way. So That's and they're really very happy about it. Yeah. yeah. Seems like we solved yeah. the problem. Well, I know there's no... Once there's like an actual sort of physical metaverse location, please consider that I could have a dinosaur as my bank teller. <laughs> I think I would find that fun. I think the bank would be a little, yeah. And yeah, they'd be like, oh, I can't songs. quite fill out this form. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, really great stuff, Pinar. Before we wrap with you, we just want to make sure we know where people can find out more about you and the project. So tell us about website socials. Yeah, our website is atlas.space. Pretty easy. Perfect. So both the public version of the platform is freely available on atlas.space and our social media tags. We are soon going to release our token about February timeframe. So if the folks join our Discord channel, we'll be announcing them only on Discord channel in the beginning. So better follow up. And plus, for the audience, we'd be happy to plan an art gallery if there's any NFT collection owner or any NFT producer team, we can give away one of the art spaces that we have for three months time and create their virtual space, redirect all of these NFTs to these sales websites, wherever they are listed. So we can consider that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this before and we'll work out some details later, but long story short, listeners look out for some type of giveaway that might involve like a virtual art gallery as well. Listen for the socials on that. All right, Pinart, thank you so much for joining us. It was really pleasure. Awesome conversation. Glad we could integrate with you and Carl. And we'll catch you on the flip side. All right. All right. See you, guys. See you later. Bye-bye. All right. Let's kick it back to Carl for our next very quick segment, which we've been enjoying lately. And that's just a bit of a moment for you to shout someone out that's special in your world. Go for that. Who would you like to choose? Well, I have two special someones, Peyton and Mahana, my daughters. And uh, nice. they're uh, the center of my world and got them into the whole blockchain Web3 stuff. They have their uh -huh. own .eth addresses that I gave to them last year. And I can't wait to see what they do with them. Beautiful. Nice. Yeah, I haven't tried to onboard my five-year-old yet, but... We're still early, guys. We're still early. Well, it's funny. You don't realize like how getting those names early makes a big difference. Mm, that's true. I'm at Carl on Twitter to give you an example. So I know those can be pretty important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like that OG status is pretty yeah, awesome. Exactly. Cool. Well, that's great. Shout out to Peyton and Monhanna. Hope you listen to this episode and continue to listen to the rest of them as well. <laughs> Although you may be more interested in other things, what, 13 and 15, did you say? Yeah, it's 16. So you actually just turned 16. 16. All right. Maybe they're edge of NFT. We'd love to have them at NFT LA, I think. Is there space, Zach, for 13, 15-year-olds at NFT LA? I know we're doing some cool educational stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And we're also yeah, doing a high school education summit as part of it. 
Um, so yeah, we definitely love the younger generation. Careful what you ask for, because I've got nieces and nephews who would love that as well. One of them who actually, I gave some Ethereum and he staked it as a 13 year old and then turned around and bought some stuff with it. So watch out for that generation. They're coming. Beautiful. All right. Well, before we drop off with you, let's make sure we say where listeners can go to learn more about you and the project you're working on as well. Yeah. So for the projects, homecoin.finance is the main website. At Homecoin Finance on Twitter is a great place to discover what's going on in real time. We have a Discord channel as well. It's very active. The community really helps us to carve out the vision and test our theories and everything like that. And for me, I'm at Carl, K-A-R-L on Twitter. Well done, sir, at Carl on Twitter. All right. And then I understand that you guys are actually having a generous giveaway with us as well that we'll be posting about. We are. Well, you can't be on this show without giving away an NFT, right? I think that's the whole deal. So we basically (laughs) made three NFTs. They are boosted NFTs for us. So they actually are the dollar value, which is between $500 and $250, boosted for a year, which is right now about a 7% return. So you're not only getting a great NFT, but you're getting an NFT that actually pays you monthly, which is pretty rare in the NFT land these days. Yeah. This is like giving away savings bonds or something. It is exactly. (laughs) I I hope that that is what it becomes one day. It'd be fantastic to see some of these NFTs while this holiday season be a great gift for someone. Yeah, you just gave me the idea for some Christmas gifts. (laughs) Awesome. I mean, bring it. We love it. There you go. Well, very cool. It's been a great episode. Brett, great to have you, Carl. I want to give a quick recognition here again to Zach and Ben for joining us. And actually, they'll be hopping on a Twitter space that we're doing here in a little bit. But make sure, listeners, to go check out Zach and Ben on our weekly now Twitter spaces, celebrating the build up to NFTLA, as well as Howl, our partner in promoting the event. That's every Thursday at where? what time are we at now? Is it it depends on what time zone you're yeah, in, right? Let's go it's Pacific. Let's go Pacific. All right. Well, I know it's 6.30 Central. What does that put us? 4.30 Pacific? 4.30 Pacific sounds right. Doing the time zones right? Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. It's coming up, guys. It'll be a good one. We just wrapped Agme. So we're going to talk about Austin and the NFTLA space, which we rarely do. So that'll be fun. Yeah. And this is, we were doing it bi-weekly, mostly focused on NFTLA. But now Howl's taken like every other week and they're going to talk about current events and So yeah, you got something to do on a Thursday on Twitter spaces. It's real fun. So put it on your calendar. Anything else to follow up with that, guys? Or we covered it, right? I'm following Carl now. I can't believe you got that for Twitter. That's that's amazing. (laughs) That is a great handle. Yeah, just uh, go on Twitter to at NFTLA Live and you'll you'll find us. Yes, great. Yeah, our newsletter, we always pump it. We mention in our socials and stuff like that. All right, great. So that's it for today, guys. Really wonderful. We've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures though on this starship. So invite your friends, recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Well, you could easily go to Spotify or iTunes right now. You can rate us, say something awesome. You can go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. You can also look us up on all major social platforms by typing Edge of NFT with no spaces, not Carl with no spaces, but Edge of NFT, (laughs) and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great Web3 content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. 
This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective when deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.